Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 47. I'm Jim Cornell from the Biotech and a bit of an odd week this week, just four days of school for some reason, and next week only three days. I do understand the reason for one of them because there's a holiday in the UK on Monday as June approaches. I went for a nice long hike this weekend and managed to pull a calf muscle, or more accurately, I wasn't actually walking when I did it, I was overstretching to jump across a stream. The kind of thing that you can do in your sleep when you're 20, but not when you're nowhere near 20 anymore. This week was very busy with events, with the first Lund Spring Symposium in Sweden, MedTech and Biotech Summit in Dublin, Ireland, the Pharmacovigilance Europe 2023 event in London, and Breakthrough 2023 in Chicago. Today, the 26th of May, is Melanoma Awareness Day, and this weekend, it's the International Day of Action on Women's Health. Busy times. I should let you know who this week's guests are, and we have one interview with two guests. We'll be chatting to Marcus Koch from Daiichi Sankyo and Greg Rossi from AstraZeneca. And so now we'll take a look at some of this week's news headlines you may have missed over at lebiotech.eu. We had an article on five recent advancements in arthritis research over the past year. There are cancer drug development implications as a new molecule that can kill zombie cells has been discovered. And a survey showed that people in the UK are very happy to take part in clinical trials, as long as you pay them. Ironwood acquired Vective Bio in a $1 billion deal. The world's first G to Y DNA base editor has been created, and Vicor reported new data from its idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis study. Antimicrobial resistance research got a £39 million shot from the UK government. The FDA approved Arzenomics glioblastoma treatment trial, and we had an article on tackling treatment-resistant depression. There was exciting news as Swedish scientists have got brain tumours to self-destruct. Smartbacks raised 1.2 million euros to create next-generation antibiotics. And we had an article on biotech in Luxembourg. Researchers discovered a genetic variation offers Alzheimer's disease clues. Farm-Enable raised $7.5 million to develop small molecule drugs to treat cancer and neurological diseases. And there was an article on six nanotechnology companies to look out for. Novartis is buying Avrobio's cystinosis gene therapy program for $87.5 million. Transgene and BioInvent reported positive solid tumour results. And you can read all of these and more at lebiotech.eu. And now it's time for this week's guests, and we have a conversation with Marcus Koch, the Head of Oncology Europe for Daiichi Sankyo, and Greg Rossi, Senior Vice President, Oncology Europe and Canada from AstraZeneca, who are joining forces to bring new oncology medicines into clinical practice. The two companies have been collaborating for several years now. I wonder if you could run me through the partnership and the goal of the partnership. Look, thanks uh, for the question, Jim. We indeed, for a couple of years now, partner in 
developing and commercializing. The idea of this partnership is that we combine our collective expertise to push the boundaries, actually, of what is possible in cancer care based on the shared commitment to support patients, combining our intelligence, our ideas, but also the capabilities, the skills, the expertise. And both companies are committed to contribute and improve treatment standards. We both believe we can do more together than we could individually. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Marcus. And uh, great to be having this conversation. I, th I think a couple of things. So firstly, we have, a, I think, a very common goal. You know, curing cancer is a cause of death. It sounds bold, and it is. But I think we really are in a golden age of technology that allows us to have that type of ambition. Clearly, there are challenges. I'm sure we'll talk about them. But I think that that goal, that aspiration is shared for both companies. And we think that science is a way that really, when used appropriately, when adopted within healthcare systems, can really add significant patient value. We all have our own personal stories around friends and families that have been affected by cancer. So we know how big a burden it is. I think why Aichi Sankia, why AstraZeneca? Firstly, the mindset of both companies is that science is a team sport. You know, we know that the science doesn't happen exclusively in one company or one area. And I think we have that ambition, that confidence, but also that humility to understand that partnership is a way forward that can accelerate some of these things. And the second, I think, is that there are some unique contributions that we both bring. The diversity of the two companies, whilst we have a shared goal, actually creates strength. You know, the ability to challenge each other, to bring certain elements that we do well, that can contribute to help Daichi Sankyo, but also the great science and technology that Daichi Sankyo has had and the, the broad program that it's had allows us to really share some values. And we've been able to accelerate, you know, because we have an urgency to what we're trying to do. And the ability to bring the resources of two companies together allows us to really have some urgency and put some pace into the development of the areas that we're working together in. The development of medicines, if I may add that thought, is also an extremely challenging and extremely complex endeavor, I would say. And that's why you need a strong team. You need different skills. Uh, you need a lot of resources bringing a new cancer medicine from scientific idea through a global development program, bridging it then in the hand of physicians to prescribe it and actually translating then into patient value. This is a long this is a challenging, this is a resource-intense endeavor. And again, it's a team sport, and we both believe we can do more and better and clearly faster together than individually. I, I guess both of you have a focus on Europe. I wonder if you could tell me about the current oncology landscape in Europe and what the main challenges are that you're seeing in terms of cancer care and improving outcomes for patients. I think that actually we do live in this world where innovation and technology has substantially improved. I mean, I've been in cancer drug development and commercialization for over 25 years. When I started in my career, we were talking about the intensity of chemotherapy and how can we basically provide supplemental treatments to help manage the toxicities associated with chemotherapy so we can get as much chemotherapy into a patient as possible to be able to drive their outcomes. We used to call it dose-dense chemotherapy. We've moved a long, long way from that. 
whether it's around personalized healthcare and biomarkers, whether it's about the technologies that we can bring, but the outcomes that we're able to achieve have been quite remarkable. In Europe, I think we have seen a very substantial improvement in the outcomes of patients with cancer. However, it is still a huge disease burden. We are an increasingly elderly population. We have increasing challenges around obesity, which we know basically drives the incidence of cancer. So actually, when we look on an individual cancer type, we might see an improvement in outcomes. But overall, we're seeing more and more people dying from cancer. So there's an urgent challenge. And it's an urgent challenge that I think the European community as a whole and individual countries are looking at. We have the European beating cancer plan that is now being issued by the European Commission. I think it defines a series of areas we need to focus on, but I think it's going to take not just us as drug innovators, but actually a whole partnership across the ecosystem, whether it's on the provider side, whether it's support services for patients, whether it's about health system funding, all of these elements need to come together to be able to, I think, continue to achieve improved outcomes and improve equity of outcomes. We see very significant differences in use, adoption and outcomes across the European continent, not just between countries, but also even within countries. We know that things like socioeconomic status will basically drive access to cancer treatments. So these are the things that we need to work on on a continuous basis, again, in partnership with the whole clinical care community. Yeah, Greg, you're absolutely right. While there is clearly a golden age of, let's say, precision medicine and other new innovative approaches to control cancer better. There is a lot of unmet need. And Jim asked also for the challenges. Let's say one, I think, recent example of how much more we need to do is that while we have seen screening programs early, non-invasive ways to detect and diagnose case cancers have been significantly improving the outcome. We also see, and the pandemic was a huge step backwards, I would say, that the adoption of screening programs has been rather going back. And we have in some countries where we have good registry seen that in the lockdowns in the years after pandemic, like the diagnosis, the early diagnosis of cancer has been significantly dropping in breast cancer in a couple of classical, let's say, screening program, sensitive cancer types. And that is frightening because these cancers will just be diagnosed at a later stage now. It's not that really the incidence is dropping. It's just those women will be diagnosed later at a more advanced stage and have an even higher need for more effective therapies. Together with a couple of other people, I founded a think tank, an initiative, we called it Vision Zero in Germany, to put cancer back on the agenda, the political agenda, to make sure, like policymakers, stakeholders, the society understands that this is one of the most important battles we have to win, uh, not only screening, but general improving treatment standards. And you mentioned another challenge, I think, which is the significant disparity also in the length of time that it takes for patients to access innovative treatments. In some countries, like Germany, there is relatively early access immediately after the European approval, but in other countries, let's say Spain, also the Nordic region, decisions to actually reimburse a medicine, so to make it prescribable, so that actually a patient can benefit from it might take up to two years or more. 
And that's for a patient with an advanced tumor disease, an extremely frightening long time. So I think to increase also access to make sure there is less inequalities in care and access to treatments by accelerating the actual prescribability so that the molecule, the new approach, the innovation can actually translate into concrete patient benefit. That is an ongoing challenge, I would say, and something that Europe has to focus on. And I see some political initiatives that really look at this. So I think there is hope, there is progress, but there is much more to do. You mentioned breast cancer earlier. It's an area clearly that your alliance has had a big focus on so far. What do you see as the main challenges and maybe even opportunities in that area? I would say the last decade has seen a lot of innovation in breast cancer, but the burden of breast cancer remains still very high. Cancer is in general the leading cause of death for people aged under 65 in the European Union, and breast cancer is clearly, for women, clearly the most prevalent and the most frequent type of cancer. It's the leading cause of death in women, and there, again, are significant inequalities. Like, probably one in 10 people with breast cancer are already diagnosed with metastatic disease, so have an advanced disease. And I mentioned earlier that due to screening delays and programs falling short of expectations in early detection, this number might even increase. But beyond this, this is sometimes forgotten, like the focus on survivorship and uh, patient advocacy focusing on long-term survival, which for many women, and that's good news, is a reality. But still, 20 to 30% of all women being diagnosed with early disease will later in their life relapse and advance. So it's a really huge cancer burden. To just add a number to make it very concrete, if you look at survival rates, probably the hardest endpoint, let's say, and a very good measure of overall care, differs a lot across Europe, frighteningly, I would say. Five-year survival rate is very low in a couple of Eastern Europe countries, lowest with 74-77% in Estonia and Lithuania, where in Northern and Western Europe, Sweden 89%, Finland also in the range of 90%, and it's much better. These differences can be explained by varying levels of healthcare expenditure, by varying level of access to diagnosis and treatment, obviously. And even in Western countries, like in England, if you look, the mortality rates are 6% higher for females living in the most deprived areas compared with the least deprived. So socioeconomic factors play clearly a role and need to be changed. There is obviously a multi-sectorial challenge, right? Organizations need to work together, including industry, around a shared purpose and ambition to change these inequities. Europe's Beating Cancer Plan, a very recent initiative, forms, I think, a strong foundation for this. The plan states, and I quote here, there should be no first and second class cancer patients in the EU, which is a great and bold statement. We are not yet there. It's an ambitious plan, but it provides a real opportunity to reduce the burden of cancer and the inequity across the EU. And it makes a lot of concrete recommendations around the disease pathway, cancer prevention, early detection, diagnosis, treatment, and also regarding quality of life. I think it's critical that these commitments are really put through to upgrade the national cancer control. I think a couple of things I'll add to what Marcus said. I do think that we are being able to really identify patients via the drivers of their disease, via these biomarkers that we have for breast cancer 
in a way that really helps us understand what are the best interventions that we can now provide. And the outcomes that we get with best possible care are actually very good for many, many patients with the disease. We've already talked a little bit about the inequalities. For example, I think in terms of screening differences, we see again that in patients with lower socioeconomic status, their access to screening is different. We see that in places like Northern Europe and Scandinavia, very, very high screening rates that drops off in other places. And so I think making sure that screening is available, equitable and taken up by communities is going to be critical because we know that that can basically save lives. Making sure we have the biomarkers that are routinely funded by health systems so we can classify patients with the deepest understanding of the genetics and the basic biology of their disease, allowing us to direct therapy appropriately is critical. We don't see diagnostics necessarily funded or supported or available in all of the markets that we have. So I think that's an area, and again, it's where the European Beating Cancer Plan has identified this as a critical issue. The idea of multidisciplinary teams, so a group of clinical care experts being able to ensure that we are directing care most appropriately for those patients is again something that's been identified as a critical success factor for patients. That's not necessarily widely adopted across the region. So we know and can deliver, I think, very high quality care, but doing it uh, broadly is a critical area. So I think uh, lots to be very positive about, but clearly areas that we also need to really, again, focus on and see whether we can improve. You mentioned some of those disparities and some of those challenges, whether it's socioeconomic or geographic. How do you think that some of those challenges across Europe, when we talk about treating cancer, should be addressed? It's an important one about how we are working within this framework of the European Beating Cancer Plan. We need to make sure that patients are engaged and patient groups are engaged, along with the clinical community and the policy community, to be able to understand what best possible care is and be able to basically, I think, uh, ensure that that is being delivered. We need to have faster access for new technologies for patients. We need to have good survivorship plans so that we can manage the toxicities and the follow-on care because patients have significant challenges after they finish their treatment, even for those that have curative potential. And we need to make sure that the information is available to decision makers at the right time in the right place. There is a wealth of information and I think we can use digital technologies, information technologies to make sure that we've got the right information at the right time in the right place to be able to help patients manage their treatments and their survivorship better. So I think we need integrated data systems, electronic health records integrated with information that's focused around the patient and the patient care rather than designed for health systems per se. Obviously, there are multiple actors that basically work in these spaces. I think at its core, our part to play, I think, in, in improving outcomes for patients, and there's many things that we do, but at its core, it's developing really innovative and impactful drugs so that those options can be available to the healthcare system and for patients. But we're going further than that. We're also working around this diagnostic area. So can we basically understand how to identify patients better and more precisely to be able to direct our therapies. But those technologies are also evolving. 
And so using machine learning and artificial intelligence derived systems in diagnostics is something that we're seeing coming up. And we're very interested in and we're partnering with folks in this area because we believe that in the next five years or so, the enhancement of some of the diagnostic services is really going to also be driven by new technologies, imaging technologies that haven't been available for the last few years or will enhance what has been available for the last few years. So these are the kind of areas that we are really partnering with, with both technology companies in the area, but also with health systems to say, how do you adopt that? As this new technology comes through, what training needs to be supported for pathologists in the healthcare system? What are the vendors or the technology companies who might be able to sort of drive that and improve the performance of those assessments? We're interested in working with all of those actors because we, it's that community, it's that whole series of stakeholders or actors, as I've said, that are going to basically allow us to deliver better care for patients ultimately. We do a lot of work within trials, clinical trials. That gives us huge amounts of information. It allows for decisions to be made, whether they're regulators, payers, or individual physicians and patients. But we also learn a lot when we basically bring these therapies into the market. And so we're in a continually learning loop as to what is the impact that we've had? Where is there still residual unmet need? that we can basically innovate or optimize therapy? Where is it that we're seeing really good outcomes? How can we basically take those outcomes, share those best practices, whether they within a territory or actually across countries? So that's where we're very focused on helping support the appropriate adoption, as well as the generation of new innovation. I think it's those two things that we really spend our time, effort and energy. And that's where our focus, I think, in terms of supporting the beating cancer plan would be. Certainly an area that we could talk about for a long time and there's some really interesting information there. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover? First, I wish and expect that the very, very successful partnership between AstraZeneca and Daichi continues to deliver on our hopes, on the hopes of patients, deliver more benefit for patients and more innovation, improving their treatment options. I'm very confident that that will happen and I look forward to continuing partnering. If I look at the cancer inequity that we mentioned earlier, then I hope we can all together contribute to reduce this. I hope we can all together do more across Europe and improve the outcomes, the survival rates, the quality of life. And if I look at cancer patients in general, then I would say I hope that this Vision Zero that I mentioned earlier, that's not only a name for an initiative, it's also describing the vision that at some stage, at some future day, hopefully no patient actually is losing the fight against uh, this disease, that there is really zero death. I know we are not yet there, we are by far not yet there, but I hope that step by step we can for many, many patients build a perspective of cure, ideally, and for those that can't be cured, turn their cancer disease into a chronic illness. So buying them time for themselves, for their loved ones, seeing their children raise. Uh, and I think for many, many, for a number of cancers, this is within reach, turning cancer into a chronic disease for as many patients as we can. I'm excited about the future from a number of perspectives. We've talked about where we are with the ability to have an impact on patient outcomes and deliver for patients and to do that with urgency and pace. I think the Daichi Sankyo AstraZeneca Alliance is a really valuable partnership that helps us 
accelerate towards that goal. I think the mindset, the relationship has been really enabling for us to move at pace. We have a very broad set of programs on a couple of assets across multiple tumor types. I think we're going to see a huge amount of impact over the next few years, as many of those studies read out. I also think the ability to work together will improve the things that we can do. So for example, in cancer, monotherapy or single agent treatments have been, you know, certainly very effective in many cases, but combinations of therapies based on the complexity of biology of of the cancer, we know is probably going to be a really important factor. And we're just starting really, I think, on the ability to think about where we combine our portfolios with the assets that we have, the partnership. So I think there's a very bright future, whether we're talking about the delivery of care for what we know works already and making sure that's adopted appropriately, or whether it's in the area of clinical trial innovation and combinations and new cancer types, new diseases. I think we've got a very rich future ahead of us in terms of the evidence and the data and the impact that we can have. And that's it for another week. So we will see you in June. Thanks a lot for joining us. And I hope wherever in the world you are, that you have a great week ahead. Take care and you'll join us next time for another Beyond Biotech.